0: Broadcasting live from the Hex Halloween Hijinks. This is Pop Culture Reference, your one-stop reference for all things pop culture. I'm one of your hosts, Seamus Connolly. I'm Doctor Movies.
1: <laughs> I'm Ricardo. I don't. I don't have a doctorate. I'm an undergrad.
0: <laughs> oh man, now you Hello. both have. You both have intro things, and I don't. And I need to catch up. <laughs> I'm falling behind.
2: But let's go ahead and move into news. We've got quite a bit of it to cover today. Starting off with the sad news that Christopher Plummer has passed away at 91 years old, leaving an absolute crazy legacy behind him of iconic roles up until really the end of his career. Like, I think his third to last credit was Knives Out, which he is an absolute presence in that movie. Yeah, And I think, like, honestly, one of his best performances that I've ever seen, and he turns in a lot of great performances.
0: Yeah, that's totally awesome, considering I mean, like, I agree. He was he was really there for knives out. He wasn't just like the guy there to get murdered or whatever. He was really he was doing doing his work.
2: I mean, Sound of Music, Academy Award winner for beginners in twenty thirteen. Uh nominated again when he was eighty eight years old for all the money in the world, like a triumph. Wow. Yeah.
1: Real God. sad.
0: I didn't see that movie, so I, I guess I didn't know much about it.
2: But, Seamus, have you seen the classic Travolta
0: Cage duo Face Off? You mean the best John Woo movie ever made? Yes, I Face? have seen Face Off.
1: Ah, uh, no one can see it, but I'm doing the hand motions. <laughs> I,
0: I knew you were doing them in real life, too. I could hear it in the voice for Face Off. Okay, so we've got Adam Wingard
2: directing... A new remake of Face Off, which I mean, why not? That sounds fun, guys. There's
1: no word on whose faces are getting off yet, though. I was you gonna say it ideas.
0: Like, who are the current two craziest people in Hollywood that they could put in this movie? I mean, it's still Judge to Nicholas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> it's a remake, but it's the same cast. I would watch that forever.
2: The one that I see getting thrown around a lot is Daniel Craig and Chris Evans, which I think would be really funny. Um, oh, I've also seen Pedro oh, Pascal good. and
0: Oscar Isaac. Do kid face-off. It's it's John Travolta's <laughs> kid from the first movie. I guess he'd be an adult now? What if it's a legacy sequel instead of a reboot? <laughs> oh,
1: Lord.
2: I mean, I, I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility, to be honest. They're like, oh, the first face-off, it went so well, we gotta do it again. We...
0: <laughs> oh, God. That that scene in that movie is disgusting. If you don't remember, oh, where they taking yeah. the faces off, <laughs> I do. I do still love it. So I'm here for this this remake.
2: Moving on to our next piece of news, we have a pretty crazy cast for the upcoming Judd Apatow pandemic inspired comedy, The Bubble, including Pedro Pascal, Karen Gillian, Fred Armisen, David Zuckerman, Keegan Michael Key, Leslie Mann, and. I love him, but I can't say his name. Peter Serafinowicz. Wow, you said it perfectly.
1: No one wants COVID movies, man. I can't get behind this.
0: I would usually agree with you, and I think we we bonded over that when we talked about uh, Lockdown with that that Anne Hathaway movie, but I can only hope, since it's like a judd apatow raunchy comedy with all these funny people it'll maybe take it in a less cutesy wink wink manner and maybe just really lay it all out on the table i think maybe that route could make it a little more bearable
2: once again i'm gonna pitch my gilligan's island pitch but different (laughs) they're making a movie about covid and then they get shut down and stuck in quarantine
0: that's actually pretty good
2: there you go you know i'm I'm full of one idea that i can apply to multiple (laughs) scenarios
1: we, we can't give it like a minute like it's not even over yet
0: <laughs> yeah yeah that is true we're just running out of vaccine stuff already we'll see i don't really care one way or
2: the other i like everybody in that cast pretty much so
1: oh yeah it's we'll a stacked see. cast i just wish it wasn't a COVID movie
2: speaking I mean, of s- stacked casts that i wish were not other things
0: jack black's gonna be claptrap in the new borderlands movie Get, get the, the rock in there, and then we have another Jumanji going. It'll be great.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Another video game. Movie oh, God. That's right. Three guys. Claptrap's like the only character I actually know from Borderlands. I remember liking Claptrap. He's a funny little robot guy.
0: Yeah, he's got. he's the comedy relief in a lot. I guess the, the, all those games are full of comedy, but he, he's like a charming little robot buddy yeah, as far as I remember.
2: Mm-hmm. And... Sad, but probably inevitable news, Disney is shutting down Blue Sky Studios, which, I mean, this is one of the continuing ripples of the Fox acquisition, shutting down an entire animation company, which was making, frankly, not very good movies that were directly in competition with Disney and Pixar properties, so it makes sense from a business perspective. It just sucks when thousands of people lose yeah, their jobs
1: man, this is garbo we're in a pandemic and so many people are laid off not to mention this is like the gutting of like the east coast animation scene like that was one of the few like huge studios on that side of the country not to mention there was a particular movie from a, a creator people like uh, she created that uh netflix shira show uh it was a movie based on her graphic novel That was 75% done. They had 10 months left, and they just shut the whole thing down.
0: Wow, that is
2: insanely bogus.
1: bad news all around.
2: Yeah. Up next, we have a couple of new animated series coming from Fox, the Clue animated series based on the board game and film of the same name, and a Dan Harmon-headed ancient Greek animated comedy as part of his exclusive deal with Fox.
0: Yeah, some weird stuff here, man. I mean... Clue animated series, I think, could be interesting if they go for an uh, anthology, every season's a new mystery. I don't know if they'll keep the same, like, mystery solvers, or if they'll they'll switch that up too. Garrett, I think you mentioned at one point before, time jumps maybe could be really fun if they're just like, will really go wild, like those last couple seasons of Archer. That could be something interesting.
2: Uh, And then, yeah, the, the Greek comedy sounds niche to me, and... I've not been a huge fan of the stuff that Dan Harmon has been putting out the last couple of years, even though I do love Community, but we'll see how that goes. Up next, some sad news. Brooklyn Nine-Nine has decided that it will end after its next season, Season 8. Dan Gore put out a statement talking about how they're choosing to end the series on their own terms, which makes a lot of sense to me given the fact that I think a lot of the characters' arcs have run their course. It's getting a little bit tired, and especially given the current political climate, I think it's probably just easier if they take off while they're ahead.
1: But like Season 9. <laughs> yeah, like, that... You could have ended it at Season 9. Brooklyn 999. It would have been...
0: It's it's lost to history now, but that, that would have been a great one. Uh, a
2: quick bit of follow-up on news we talked about a couple weeks ago. Chappelle's show will be returning to Netflix with Dave Chappelle's blessing. Turns out they struck a deal where he is getting the compensation that he felt he was owed. And I think this is a really big step in companies like Netflix actually listening to content creators. But it's also really good for Dave Chappelle to be making sure that he is getting what he is owed as a content creator and not letting himself be exploited for work that he did when he was younger and needed to get that kind of
1: work yeah because uh chappelle shows like a huge part of his like legacy and to not have any part of that anymore would be a complete shame
0: yeah he's been advocating for bigger changes with the content that he put out that made him so famous and i'm glad to see that he's you know he's getting some of the compensation that he's owed for Decades and decades of his work being exploited. So I'm, I'm happy to hear that he has some of that back.
2: Other Netflix news, Ricardo, I think you should take this one, given your affinity for the subject matter.
1: We've got uh, Over the Garden Wall creator Patrick McHale coming to Netflix with a new you know, movie and a show. That's going to be an adaptation of the Red Wall book series.
2: Which I've always heard is really good little anthropomorphized animals living in Redwall Abbey, but I've never actually checked it out. Do you guys Have either of you guys read it? I've never even heard of it actually.
1: No, I didn't even know. Now knowing what it's about, uh, I think this is perfect for Patrick McHale. He's allowed to be probably a, a little darker if you've watched Over the Garden Wall. You know, the energy, the kind of the work that he puts out. I think this is a perfect match for him.
0: Yeah, man. I'm excited to see it. I loved Over the Garden Wall and, you know, I don't know much about Redwall, but you know, Netflix is really, they, they made that claim that they're trying to surpass Disney in animation, and they're really not showing many signs of slowing down on that. So, I'd like to see if they can really uh, give the majors a run for their money on that.
2: Here's some absolutely colossal news in our big stream of HBO news we've got coming up. The HBO series The Last of Us has finally found its Joel and Ellie in Pedro Pascal And Bella Ramsey, who is best known for portraying little Leanna Mormont on the last couple seasons of Game of Thrones, definitely a fan favorite and a really great performance. This seems like really good casting to me.
1: I've been seeing a lot of people pull out this joke Oh man, I can't wait to see Pedro Pascal be a morally ambiguous protector of this adopted child as he wanders the wasteland. (laughs) Yeah. Why does that sound familiar? Yeah, that thought
2: had occurred to me as well, and we'll circle back to some more uh, Mandalorian talk here in a minute, but I think it definitely is probably a contributing factor to his getting hired, knowing that he could play this kind of role, but I think he is a really good fit for that character. But we've got a bunch of HBO Max animation news coming down the pipeline. The long-rumored Clone High reboot is officially coming for two seasons, at least, to HBO Max. Mindy Kaling is developing a adult animated Velma origin series. There is Fired on Mars, an existential workplace comedy about a tech company's Martian campus starring Pete Davidson is coming, animated as well. And finally, close enough, the animated series already on HBO Max has been renewed for two more seasons. So, I mean, this all seems relatively interesting to me. I'm guessing the Velma show... Is in two parts a response to one, the recent cult revival of the adult Scooby Doo and uh, uh, live action films from a few years ago, and two, HBO's ongoing success with the Harley Quinn series.
1: The thing that gets me, what? We. A Velm. She's a teenager. She didn't have anything before joining the gang. Why is this an origin? Shouldn't it. Wouldn't it make more sense if it was all of them together as in, like, an adult animated show? Why is it...
0: Yeah, I kind of see where you're coming from there. It, it it would almost make more sense if it was, like, a post-Scooby-Doo animated adult Velma show. But, yeah, I don't know how they're going to make an adult animated show out of, like, pre-high school Velma. Didn't they meet in high school? I don't know. I mean, would they
2: also haven't said it's connected officially to any, like, pre-existing Scooby-Doo property or continuity all the time stuff comes out that they sit when they announce stuff they say origin movie and then it turns out to be just a solo property like Black Widow was supposed to be a origin movie when they announced it and now it's coming out it's I think it's set between Civil War and Infinity War so it's a solo movie even though it's not origin I think it's very possible that we could get more information on this that might kind of contradict a lot of the assumptions that we're making based on the information we've been given so far. And then we've got um, a couple of kind of uncomfier topics to talk about. One, we've talked about this on the show multiple times. Gina Carano, Cara Dune on The Mandalorian is no longer employed by Lucasfilm. And in their statement, they said there are no plans for her to return to Lucasfilm properties in the future, meaning effectively that she has been fired and will no longer appear on The Mandalorian, following a lot of controversial, anti Semitic, uh, anti LGBT social media posts and COVID denying. Yeah, just really terrible things all over her social media. So, I mean, I'm honestly surprised. It took them this long to fire her. But, but
1: Garrett, isn't this cancel culture Ugh. rightfully canceled?
0: She sucks, man.
1: She's well, the worst. she keep
2: she keeps saying that they can't they can't cancel us unless uh we let them cancel us or something like that. I don't know, but
1: I don't know when people are gonna get it through their freaking heads that yeah, you can say what you want, but there are still consequences. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: I'm assuming the reason they took so long to actually act on this is because they didn't want to step on the last couple episodes of the Mandalorian season. Which does make sense to me, and it sounds like this was already in the works all the way back in November, when they were originally going to announce her as the lead of what I can only assume was going to be the Rangers of the New Republic series. And they decided to nix that from Investor Day. But we've got more news. We've been covering, you know, for the past couple months, the Ray Fisher accusations against Joss Whedon's misconduct on the Justice League set. And now we've had two more actors come forward from Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel, Chris McCarpenter and Michelle Trachtenberg. Chris McCarpenter, who gave a very long statement that we will link on social media because it is too long to read on air, but basically detailing the verbal harassment and essentially bullying that she underwent on the sets of both Buffy and Angel, in addition to Michelle Trachtenberg, who was a minor at the time she was shooting on Buffy's Vampire Slayer, who said that there was a rule on set that she could not be alone with Joss Whedon after an incident that she did not elaborate on. Oh boy, Jesus so yeah, yeah, man. This is
1: it's all pretty damning. Yeah, it's pretty
2: damning stuff. I will be interested to see who else comes out and says stuff. I know Sarah Michelle Geller gave a very brief post.
1: Yeah, I was yeah I was gonna bring that up where she said she she's happy that to be like associated with Buffy and stuff, but she does not want to be at all tied to to Joss Whedon. She fully supports everyone that's come out.
2: Yeah, and I think that's great i'm very interested to see where this goes how this plays into the ray fisher stuff but i think uh, once again we keep saying this every time we bring it up it speaks to how well ray fisher is handling this and his professionalism and his persistence is emboldening others to speak out and i think that's really strong and really impressive and it also Mm. makes me feel icky because Two of my favorite shows are Buffy and Firefly, and it, that just makes me real sad that so many people were going through bad things, it sounds like, on the sets of those. Our last piece of news is that Taylor Swift has released the full version of her re-recorded Love Story song called Love Story, parentheses Taylor's version, and has announced that the full re-record of her album Fearless will be coming out in April. She's following up on the issues that she's been having with uh, the record label that she recorded most of her albums with at the beginning of her career, which essentially are kind of similar to the way Dave Chappelle is fighting back against, the way he was exploited, not giving her the compensation that should be entitled to somebody who wrote and performed the best-selling discography of the 21st century, and so she is re-recording all of her old albums.
1: For the one she's uh, released, is this like a straight re-record? Or are there any, like, little differences, uh, like, lyric-wise with the, the Love Story re-record? I don't
2: believe there are lyrical differences, but there I've heard it, and there are definitely some changes in instrumentation, which I think this version's actually better, so I'm hoping that's the general trend with these re-records, is that she takes what she's learned as an artist over the past, you know, 15, 10 years and applies them to those older songs that are already I think by themselves pretty great.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always glad to hear the stories about artists reclaiming their work for themselves and you know, getting getting what they're owed. So, I'm I'm glad to hear that she's well on her way to releasing that album and you know, hopefully no more legal or copyright or whatever it was loopholes that she was getting screwed by can creep back up
2: absolutely and that uh that wraps us up for news so should we move on to our main segment let's do it today we will be covering judas and the black messiah which premiered on february 12th on hbo max and is available to stream for 30 days after that date You can also go see it in theaters if you're doing that sort of thing, which you probably shouldn't be if you live in America, which almost all of our listeners do.
0: (laughs) Yeah, a shout out to our, like, two listeners from India. They know what's up. Yeah, man, this movie, General Impressions, I thought it was very well done, and this is not a light movie. This is some heavy drama.
2: It is... Very bold, I think, especially as it's essentially the headliner for Warner Bros.'s new lineup on HBO Max. Like, the film itself is turbulent and well-executed and shamefully relevant. And the fact that Warner and HBO Max are backing that up by essentially making it the first really high-profile release on HBO Max, I think, says something about, their attitude about how strong a piece this is, given how controversial it is in the current political climate. Oh
1: yeah, it's incredibly strong. I I really like the fact that none of it is sugarcoated. Like, they pull no punches with this movie. They lay it all out there on Front Street.
0: Yeah, truly. Making it, like you said, Garrett, the spearhead of these releases. And having it be that just, like, dark, gritty, historically-based powerhouse of a film it's it's a it's an incredible start to that run and just as a film in general yeah the candidness in which they present like such a horrifying reality that is that era of American history and you know all the struggles that continue to this day from that it's hard to watch in this day and age and still see so much familiarity in our own streets right now but I guess that's the point of of having this movie come out at a time like this.
1: I I agree this is a really good movie. I I was so angry just watching it throughout the whole thing. Because, you know, this is all based on the fact that like, this happened and it still happens. The injustices just portrayed in this movie, it'll get you real fired up.
2: Expertly directed by Shaka King, a director I was not familiar with before I saw this film, but he's directed a couple of smaller independent films over the last few years which that i mean i feel like every time we talk about a new movie that's what i say i actually hadn't heard of this (laughs) director, but directed a few strong independent films but this is a calling card arrival on the scene piece if i've ever seen one with really great performances from daniel kaluuya and lakeith stanfield who are proving to be once again some of the most versatile and competent leading men working right now
0: yeah hard hard agree on that one just some of those moments with lakeith stanfield in this movie were like i could feel the stress in his character i could like feel my own eyes welling up at a lot of moments where he was just like so stuck
1: my favorite my personal favorite performed with daniel kaluuya is every scene he was in just phenomenal i think just to sum up his character in like a word it was unflappable the man Retained his composure like the whole time, despite the atrocities happening before him. Uh, f- going to some behind-the-scenes stuff, I had know this until I was like done with the movie. The the Lucas brothers worked on this movie. They had like had a story oh, credit on it. fascinating had no idea.
2: No, neither did I. Like I also want to continue to sing Daniel Kaluuya's praises because I feel like every single year since Get Out, he has given one of the best performances of the year. Last year, Queen and Slim, which if you guys did not see, is also just a profoundly upsetting <laughs> film, but really well-made. Widows, the year before that, and then going all the way back to 2017 with Get Out, is just, he is turning up really different performances every time, but really strong ones, all of them.
0: Yeah, you, he, he just can't, mess up man whatever it is about it. every time i see him on screen he's playing just like the most impassioned character i can think of and he he plays impassioned well especially i mean his whole character in this is just like burning fire in his chest from from every single moment that he's doing anything he, he's he's great at that
1: and from his performance you can real you get a sense of how influential fred hampton was and how he was able to, like, the the Rainbow Coalition just bring all these people together under one common goal.
2: Now, yeah, I don't know about you guys and how familiar you were with the Black Panther Party as a whole. Before this, I had a vague awareness of Fred Hampton and the Rainbow Coalition from, you know, like, going to Chicago History Museums and reading and stuff like that, but nothing near a in-depth knowledge of who he was and what exactly all he accomplished. And I do attribute that partially to, like, I don't know what you guys' is. education was like on the Civil Rights Movement, but I had a teacher in high school who was basically like, and also the Black Panthers. If you want to know more about them, watch Forrest Gump. And I was like, oh. <laughs> okay, so Jesus that's Christ. how we're oh, no. doing
0: it. Yeah, you know, in <laughs> little Catholic grade school and high school in Chicago, it didn't really didn't really go too far into the Black Panthers.
1: Yeah, I think that's the issue with like most public education uh, regarding the Civil Rights Movement. It's Martin Luther King and no other like Malcolm
0: X for a paragraph.
1: And even then they heavily sanitize.
2: A lot of the general tone given to him is like, and there was also Malcolm X, but he was scary, so we don't really talk about yeah. Him. that's that's literally what it was.
1: Real quick, you guys want to break down the story?
0: I mean, yeah,
2: yeah, let's talk about it. Um I mean, obviously based on a true story, a young, low level criminal, Bill O'Neill, gets caught up in a plan to inform on Black Panther civil rights leader Fred Hampton by being convinced by the FBI to infiltrate the Black Panther Party and feed them information that will allow them to more successfully take them down in 1960 Chicago.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's laying it down pretty well. I
2: If we're talking about the story... And the character work, I think something that really stood out to me is it reminded me a lot of Selma in how it really makes a valiant effort to humanize civil rights leaders by giving them depth beyond their movement. Fred Hampton's wife is played fantastically by Dominique Fishback, who I had never seen it in anything before, but... I think gives a performance that will not be nearly as celebrated as Daniel Kaluuya's or Licky Stanfield's, but is just as vital to this story having the emotional impact that it does.
1: Oh yeah, I agree with you 100%. I love their uh, the way they built up their relationship. And that only uh, serves to just really hit you even harder, because you know how this ultimately ends.
2: Absolutely. Also, I want to give a quick shout-out to Jesse Plemons. Yes, I was waiting for my chance. Just, what a fantastic, textured, gut-wrenching performance about, like, the banality of evil. Truly.
1: Is my man's ever not playing in other scumbags? I
2: think Jesse Plemons, I don't know, I think he's a pretty versatile actor. Have you guys watched um, Friday Night Lights?
0: Oh, yeah, he is in Friday Night Lights. That's a young Jesse Plemons
2: So good. Landry, my boy Landry. I've
0: I've seen him in, um, like, Breaking Bad, where he's a scumbag, and I've seen him in Game Night, where he's a total creep. And Yeah, he is a creep in Game Night. I mean, That's I love cool. him in Game but, Night, but...
2: I do think that he it does get typecast in that stuff, even though I do think he's really capable of doing any kind of role. Also, really creeped out by Martin Sheen, <laughs> Uncanny Valley, J. Edgar Hoover. Oh my
0: god, yeah. <laughs> so weird.
2: I am definitely inspired to go learn more about Fred Hampton as I go on. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit uh, right after we're done with the main segment. But, yeah, I mean, what a excellent film at achieving exactly what it wants you to feel.
0: Totally. They had a target of just, like, dread in emotional response, and I'd say they hit it for me.
1: This This movie had me bawling, like, eyes out. Yeah, man. Especially after, uh, like, when Fred Hampton speaks to the mother of Jacob Winters and, like, they go into, like, his childhood, like, his relationships with different people and how they're just going to paint him as this, like, cold, like, cop killer and that's what they're going to determine his legacy to be. It's that stuff like that happens still to this day.
0: Just looking at it from this window of the film on screen and you can obviously see where the moralities of each side of that conflict lie, which one side is literally feeding, you know, hungry children and, you know, making community schools and health clinics. And the other side is just blatantly antagonizing them until they are quote unquote justified in killing them. It's, it's all too horribly familiar right now.
2: And I also really like that the film, while being very clear about all the points you just spoke to, really puts you in Bill O'Neill's shoes. And, I mean, like, it's there in the title, Judas and the Black Messiah, but Mm -hmm. really makes you understand what choices he's having to make and how the system that he's stuck in is putting him in impossible situations.
1: Yeah, it would have been really easy to villainize Bill O'Neill, but you you understand where he's coming. You may not agree with his choices, but you understand just the the rock and a hard place that they put him in.
2: We're recording this on the day it's released, so I'm interested to see what the recognition and reputation of this film comes out as, because, I mean, I was very impressed with it. I'm excited to learn more about the events it's been depicting.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm excited to see for award season where it fares cuz I think it's got pretty good chances in a lot of a lot of areas.
2: And we'll see you right on the other side. I think if we're if we're done here, uh we'll see you on the other side of this transition with a little bit of a different pop culture reference for today's episode. For today's pop culture reference, we're going to be taking things a little bit differently in light of the very heavy and sensitive topics that The main segment of today was discussing, and given the fictionalized nature, no matter how true or well executed, uh, of Judas and the Black Messiah, we wanted to give you some truer-to-life resources if you wanted to learn more about the Black Panther Party and the events depicted in the film. So we're going to link all these in the description, we're going to put them out on social media, but just a few uh, books and other resources for you guys to go look at. Uh, The Assassination of Fred Hampton is a book by Jeffrey Haas. Soul on Ice is the memoir and collection of essays by early Black Panther Party leader Eldridge Cleaver. There is the Zinn Education Project's Women in the Black Panther Party, which is a collection of resources including documentary films, interviews, essays, archival texts that you can reference and learn more about the role that women played in the Black Panther Party, something that is often overlooked, and this movie takes a great deal of care in showcasing acclaimed French filmmaker Agnes Varda's 30-minute documentary entitled Black Panthers, made in the 1960s. You can stream that right now on Criterion Channel, and I think it's even on Mubi right now, the streaming service that cycles its films every 30 days. And finally, a Smithsonian Magazine article we will link to The Black Panthers were founded 50 years ago and their influence hasn't waned. An article from 2016 that I think is very interesting to read in the context of what's taken place over the last four years, five years since the article was written, but also a really strong piece nonetheless about kind of placing the Black Panthers in a modern context and how they connect to contemporary movements and how their legacy lives on. And of course, there are Tons of more great opportunities to learn more. These are just a few texts that, after doing research, I found recommended for me. I found insightful from the interactions that I had with them. So I encourage you to go look at those. Once again, we're putting them links in the description of this podcast slash video, however you're watching it, or listening to it, rather. And we'll also link them on our social channels.
0: Yeah, I, I actually give my personal stamp of approval on that Varda documentary. I, I watched that, I think last year, in one of my French cinema classes, and it was really interesting to see a European perspective on something like the Black Panther Party, so definitely check that one out.
2: Varda is such a, a sensitive and inquisitive documentarian, and she packs so much punch into those 30 oh, minutes. Oh yes. Pop, 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 pop quiz. Alright guys, today's pop quiz we're gonna have who won last week ricardo of course he did god
0: damn it yeah (laughs) Um,
2: because sheamus just cannot catch a break guys i'm I'm waiting
0: for my second wind i'm gonna do a streak soon that's gonna blow ricardo out of the water
2: well right now he's ahead seven to four (laughs) okay sheamus you know you get to pick your category today so here are your options Christopher Plummer, or Judas and the Black Messiah?
0: I am going to go with Judas and the Black Messiah.
2: Okay, you guys know how this game works. The first one of you to give me the correct answer gets the point. If neither of you can get it or you say it at the exact same time, we'll move on to our tiebreaker question, which will be the other category. So are you ready? Yes. Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield previously co-starred in Get Out. What other Get Out cast member pops
0: up? In Judas and the Black Messiah. Oh, God.
1: Was it the dad? R- was I don't it the, remember his the, name.
0: The grandpa who's stuck in the yard work housekeeper guy? All right, Damn I'm going to call it. Neither of you
2: got it. It was Lil Rel Howery, who plays Rod, the TSA agent. He was... Wait,
1: was he the, the guy at the He's the FBI end?
2: agent.
0: Oh, uh, no way. I didn't... I, didn't I knew he ragging. looked familiar. I, he seemed familiar to me, too, but I could not put my finger on it. That's crazy. Give us, give us the tiebreaker question here.
2: Okay. Category is Christopher Plummer. What two Academy Award records does Christopher Plummer hold? Most Best Actor nominations.
1: Is it the most Oscars? Does he have all the like Oh, right. Punch?
2: You guys are losing. He's only got one Oscar. I think I tried... To tee it up for you at the beginning of the show, because he has been nominated for three Oscars, uh, having won one of them for The Last Station, Beginners, and All the Money in the World. All three were for Best Supporting Actor, but he is the oldest acting winner ever at age 83 for Beginners, and the oldest acting nominee ever at age 88 for All the Money in the World
0: god he was regardless of us losing that point he was such an impressive man Jesus I know we touched on this already but my
2: god no he's a, he's a treasure and he will be missed and he lived a very full life but you boys don't get anything Duh. you will not be missed That's a little harsh. <laughs> uh.
0: well I'm definitely kicking myself I could have had a chance to, to get a little closer but that, that threat of a streak is still is still there
2: Welcome back to WandaVisionaries, where we break down the latest episode of WandaVision. This week we're talking episode 6, All New Halloween Spooktacular. I'm also now realizing that if we just had a little bit more information going into this show, we could have named this segment The Hex Girls. Damn it. I am pissed now, Garrett. <laughs>
0: thanks, for, thanks for ruining my night.
2: As always, we are marking spoilers at the top of this episode because every episode of WandaVision is chock full of so many little hints towards the next episode and and minimal minimal plot uh, moving forward. But you know, that's just a that's just <laughs> an observation that I've made.
0: Well, right off the bat, um, Jimmy Woo can kick ass for some reason. I love oh that. Oh my goodness. Um. Randall Park for Indiana Jones. Yeah, he's
1: a trained agent.
0: I don't know. He's a he's little, you know, he was always like, even intimidated in a way by like Scott Lang. And he, Paul Rudd's the least intimidating Avenger out there. But he just kicks ass. He just like totally judo chops this dude and takes his gun. And <laughs> it's so, if good. anything, I would think that he would have Darcy's line of like, nobody told me about the plan, but he totally yeah. kills it. <laughs>
2: no, it's really good. It gives me it gives me huge 80s Spielbergy vibes when they're just, you know, punching government agents, yeah. dragging them behind stuff, stealing their uniforms. The best.
0: I want one of those sword ponchos, by the way. Those those look pretty slick.
2: But you know, the actual content oh, of yeah. this episode, like um, the big
0: stinger at the I'm, end of the last episode getting a little more time,
2: which they are seemingly setting it up to be maybe not multiverse stuff. Like, it's potential... They've given themselves a backdoor explanation for,
0: like, oh, of course you didn't want to look your dead brother in the face. Yeah, and where's your accent? And he's like, where's your accent? You know, like, that was was pretty good. (laughs) I
1: love that bit.
0: Yeah, it's a little strange. He, He has one line of, like why do you look different? Well, I understand why you made me look different was basically his sentiment, and that's muddying yeah. some waters. We had just kind of gotten a little bit more of a concrete idea of what the hex is and, like, what the controlling factors may be, but now, you know, they do that, they do that zombie reveal thing like they did with Vision a couple episodes ago, but I feel like that works less because she's not dragging around Pietro's body since Ultron, you know? But if they played that I know. as, like... <laughs> In that flash moment of him being a zombie corpse, if it was the original actor for Pietro for just a second, I think that would have been perfect. You yeah. Know? I that would have about really that. given a little more to the, like, you're manifesting me idea, but I think the kick ass guy is, he's doing other stuff right now, maybe.
1: <laughs> I really like Pietro in this one, man, as a, just the, the scumbag, his brother yeah. from out of town. <laughs>
0: It's definitely, and I know,
2: Ricardo, you were right. They went Malcolm in the middle and not Full House, but he definitely was giving me Uncle Jesse oh, vibes. Oh, yeah, for sure. Uh, the kids have their parents' superpowers. Or not their parents. They have the twins' super. They have Speed and Witch yes. Powers. Yeah.
1: We got Wiccan and Speed. Or
2: In the scene where they first get their powers, I thought it was really smart, even though incongruous with, like, kind of the vibe of the rest of the stuff going on. The fact that the Incredibles is playing at the oh, movie theater. Yeah. And the way that she's telling them to restrain their super speed is very similar to the way that Helen talks to Dash at the beginning of that film. So I thought that was a nice little comparison. Although, I'm very curious about how you guys feel about... They did a little thing at the beginning of the episode which was new. It was like, all titles featured uh, now streaming on Disney+. And then they just played a bunch of Disney craft in the background of this one. And I don't know about you guys, but any time they showed... like. The Incredibles, or <laughs> The Parent Parent Trap. Trap.
1: That was the other movie that was on the marquee. I, or um,
2: the movie, I can't remember what movie they were watching in the park. Uh, that was also a Disney film. But it just took me out. I was like, oh yeah, I'm watching Disney, and it's corporate synergy, baby. Yeah, vertical like...
0: integration, man. Come on, get with the times.
2: Oh, Jack Donaghy, get out of here.
0: Oh yeah, we got that scene with uh, Agnes in the car that they teased out in the trailers where she does her witch laugh it's a lot different than i was expecting you know i thought we were gonna get a little more of a a harkness reveal there because she's got the whole witch thing going i still don't trust her as far as i could throw her don't get me wrong but
2: especially because she she was somehow able to break free of wanda's trance enough to get lost in a world that's supposed to be,
0: like, perfectly oiled, yeah, you know? Yeah, that's some BS, man. She's she's up to something.
1: Agnes oh, is still yeah. mad, sus. <laughs> uh,
0: I don't trust those kids, man. I'm gonna be honest. They're, no, neither do they're, I. Oh, okay, Gary, you're on my... Really? You're, uh,
1: you don't trust the, no, man. the new Zack like, and Cody?
0: They're gonna turn into zombies at some point or something. Like, it's gonna be some messed up goon stuff over there. Oh, speaking of Wanda getting angry... The end of this episode is it's a lot of stuff going on. She expands that hex by a ton.
2: A lot, yeah. And our Cat Dennings, Darcy, is stuck inside, so that'll be an interesting to see I how cannot I cannot wait that. to see how
0: she's integrated. Because I assume next week is going to be like it's it's modern. We have caught up it's here, back... right? Well, it's not the twenty first century.
2: Seamus started twenty years ago. We've got two decades that is still retro. Yes, yeah, but what is
0: like mid, like, mid-2000s TV that isn't reminiscent of, like, Malcolm in the Middle? Where do they go?
2: I mean, you could get, like, your How I Met Your Mothers, your Big Bang theories. The mid-2000s was the weird transition for sitcoms between multicam, cheesy, just, like, self-contained episodes to more mature... Uh, single cam moving away from the laugh track formats but it was still like there are still weird things that are caught in the middle of that and i mean they could do they could do an office style thing they could do how i met your mother they could do 30 rock i think there's a lot of room yeah, i guess
0: for the them office was like 2001 when did the office come out like I think like 2005. Yeah, that, that, that could work. I, I was thinking that for more like pure modern, but I guess that would be like streaming stuff. They're probably gonna make a lot of hokey meta jokes about streaming. And oh, before we mm-hmm. before we close out, how about that commercial, huh? That is a 90s commercial if I remember. <laughs> <seen laughs> yeah, that, that really unnerved me. I know there's a lot of unnerving stuff happening more rapidly in these episodes, but like, goddamn.
1: That's the one I can't quite decipher because the other the other commercials are all tied back to Wanda and her. Well, her past and her trauma, I don't fully get the yogurt it's one. It's like
2: yo magic when you don't know what else to do. It's like use your magic What I think it's as simple as like it's the ultimate get out of jail free card. Like it's when you're stuck you don't know what else to do. That's, I, I, that's also something
0: do. about like that kid slowly wasting away. Something about like maybe this magic is like this scale of magic or type of magic is damaging Wanda in some way or she can't really understand it yet. Or I guess he's trying to open it and he can't get to the Yo Magic and he's dying.
2: And then our little tease for next week is we know Monica and Jimmy are on their way to meet a guy. So we'll see. It's, gonna be, it's definitely a character yeah. we know. I
0: can't but, wait till next you know. week when Darcy does that John Krasinski, Jim look to camera every 10 seconds. Right? Wait, totally
2: Come that's on. happening. <laughs> I'm looking forward oh, to Oh, Seamus. It. <laughs> yeah, you got it. Now it's time to save the rec center where we give you our weekly recommendations. I'm going to jump in here first if you boys don't mind. Yeah, go for it. My parents and I have been watching the new sci-fi original series Resident Alien starring Alan Tudyk. As of right now, it's only 3 episodes in and Alan Tudyk is an alien that crash lands in a remote Colorado town. And has to pretend to be, like, he, like, disguises himself as a human and has to pretend that he belongs until he can find the remnants of his ship to complete his mission and get back to his home world. And it's it's goofy hijinks, and he's got a little kid nemesis, and it's really funny. Alan Tudyk's really good. <laughs> I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot.
1: I like Alan Tudyk a whole lot. I'll probably check that out. Maybe once it has like a few more episodes. That was like that literally exactly thing. what
0: I was gonna say. I I've seen some promo for it and it looks like it's really funny. Who who doesn't like Alan Tudyk in general? But when it's him like doing a straight comedy fish out of water sci-fi concept, that's you know, that sounds like a lot of fun. All right, what do you guys got for the month of February? PlayStation Plus free games of the month. Going back to video games here. One of them was honestly is a game I've never heard of, but I've like swiftly fallen in love with it it's uh remedy entertainment and 505 games control it is like super like lynchian and super weird about a woman who goes and becomes the director of the united states bureau of control which is like a interdimensional research and free right now if you don't have it Garrett, I'm looking at you. Go download it. Um, I already have it downloaded okay, to my PS5.
2: After I'm done with God of War, that's I, probably my. Please next do time, it because
0: so. I'm I'm not even finished with it yet. But it is so cool. It's so weird. It's got the aesthetic of like a SCP containment breach meets like Twin Peaks in a lot of ways, and it it's blowing me away. And I've never even heard of it before. So it's creepy. A lot of fun. The combat I mean, is really smooth. Give it a shot. All right, Ricardo, what do you got?
1: I've got a a show recently. I revisited it a couple weeks ago with my brother and sister, American Vandal seasons one and two. Oh yeah. I think are (laughs) just comedy gold, man. They're so well executed and they're a perfect satire on the, the true crime genre. Yeah. it, It, on the surface, it is a little juvenile. It's about poop and dick drawings, but there's always more than that. They're very good at balancing that with like actual, they have actual things to say. Very relevant to being a young person today I don't think I've ever seen like a show that truly encapsulates just high school
0: I love them too man I got everything you're saying is on point it is so funny and if you like true crime it really you know has a lot of fun with that in so many different ways it's it's an absolute blast
2: it's just so it you're exactly right Ricardo it's insane how well it captures. Like, just kids, dweebs that you know in high school. (laughs) It's so well-written. I'm super impressed with it.
1: That show was too good for this world. It is a shame Netflix didn't pick it up for a third season.
2: All right, I think that wraps us up for this episode of Pop Culture Reference. We had recently come out, uh, last Thursday, a new series on our YouTube channel, Pop Culture Replay, which featured us playing the first half of the Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, so please go check that out. We'll also link that in the description. If you're watching on YouTube, you could just click on over to that right now. Give us a thumbs up and a comment below. What other games you want to see us play on Pop Culture Replay? If you want to reach the show in any other way, you can tweet us at pcr underscore podcast. You can find us on Instagram on that same handle. You can go like us on Facebook now. We've got a new Facebook page. And, as always, you can email us at popculturereferencepod at gmail.com. Now, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, I believe next week we will be covering The Muppet Show. So each of us <laughs> will be bringing in one episode of The Muppet Show to talk about. I'm very excited about it. It's something I've been wishing was streaming for a really long time. So I can't wait for that. I don't have any other news. You can reach me at Strother Garrett on Twitter
0: at Walk of Seamus on Twitter. Walk of S-E-A-M-U-S.
1: I, I guess I'll plug a thing real quick. Uh, uh, back when I was in high school, I won this Young Playwrights thing, and I got a thing I wrote, produced. And that same like theater recently reached out to me as an alumni of their thing. To, uh, and they asked me to write like a, a brief thing for their socials. It's going to come out, I think, on Sunday.
2: Oh, so same day as this and show. And it's
1: going to have my Twitter... Yeah, yeah, it's going to have my Twitter link to it and stuff. That is the, the Pegasus Theater in Chicago. If you want to go follow them, they'll post a, a thing I wrote on there. Very nice. Excellent.
2: Thank you, Ricardo. All right, that wraps us up for this week. We'll see you next week when we cover the Muppet Show. Adios,
0: amigos.